This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 316, and we are recording on February 1st. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson. We're coming to you from Book Riot, and I'm still waiting for my morning caffeine to kick in. (laughs) (laughs) The eternal struggle. (laughs) Usually by the time we sit down to record, I'm like ready to go. But today, for whatever reason, I maybe should have had two cups of something. Yeah, the first of the month. That's just... Yeah. It's draining. Yeah, it's sleepy up in here. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, welcome to the show. If you're new here, it is, in fact, a personalized reading recommendation show, which means you can send in your request for a reading recommendation. You can send those in either by email or, well, first, let me give you the email. It's getbooked (laughs) at bookriot.com. Or you can drop it in the form that's on the site. We have show notes for every episode, and you can put it in the form there. If you have a time-sensitive request, you're hoping to hear back by a specific date, put time-sensitive, all caps, either in the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form. We'll do our best. We don't answer every question that we get because it's just not possible at this point, but do answer a lot of them. And it can be a question for you. Maybe it's for your book club. Maybe you need a gift for a friend or a relative or whatever. Uh, Send them on in. All right. So let's see. We have some feedback today from Kate, who says a suggestion for Glenn from episode 314, looking for books about academics and scientists. The Gods of the Upper Air by Charles King is a fascinating history of anthropology through the career of its early academics and practitioners, Franz Boas and his students, including Margaret Mead, Ruth Benedict and Zora Neale Hurston. So plenty of women academics, although they get short academic shrift in comparison to their male counterparts. Mm. There's messy romantic and sexual drama, re-examining of ideas of race, gender, and sexuality, and academic politics. It's a good read. Interesting. I once wanted to be Margaret Mead. True story. So I might have to pick that up. (laughs) Uh, All right. So let's see. We're going to... Amanda's going to read our first question. Then we'll do a sponsor. And then we will get with the recommending. All right. Our first question is from Stephanie, who says, I'm looking for a Daisy Jones and the Six read-alike. I like when artists have to put personal differences aside in order to create, but also the art ends up being influenced by their life. It does not need to be romantic necessarily, but that helps. I liked Opal and Nev as well. A female identifying writer would be preferred because I loved TJR's takes on what women go through in music and writing. I'm not somebody's muse. I'm the somebody is my personal battle cry, and I don't think Nick Hornby gets it. (laughs) You're right. Okay, so for sponsor, here we go. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes 
that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Elena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888-LOVE and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critic Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Okay, I, I'm going to keep going. I went at this question way sideways. I know what <laughs> you're asking for. I, I mean, Taylor Jenkins Reid has a very distinctive style that is the same across all of her books. So when people ask us for Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo readalikes or Daisy Jones readalikes, I feel like they're, just, they're really asking for that tone, which nobody writes like that because nobody is her. So it's hard to it's hard to give. But so I fixated on the part um, that you asked about artists putting themselves into their work, like their their life being um, what they're making their art based on. Um, and I went with The Body Where I Was Born by Guadalupe Natal. It's translated by J.T. Lichtenstein. Natal is a Mexican writer who was born in the 70s. And The Body Where I Was Born is a is it the term autofiction? It's like an autobiographical novel, very much yeah. based around. Thank you. Yeah, very based around her life. And when I first read this book, it was pitched to me as uh, the portrait of the artist as a young woman, which, of course, is a play on the mm. James Joyce, similar kind of autofiction novel that Joyce wrote about growing up in Ireland and how it influenced his you know life path into becoming a writer. And this is the same. So the narrator is telling the story of her childhood from her therapist's couch, like the whole, it's like a monologue on her therapist's couch. Um, looking back over her very odd childhood, she was born with a birth defect in her eye that her mother became super obsessed with fixing, even though the child herself kind of didn't mind it. Uh, and so they end up going, she spends a lot of her time as a child in hospitals, getting a bunch of different treatments that were like very inconvenient and annoying. Uh, and then she also, her and her, pa her parents spill it up, which you get background on in the book as it goes. She spends her teenage years in the south of France and then moves back to Mexico. The political and civil unrest of uh, in Mexico at the time is like a backdrop to the book. So that comes and goes. But you really get the view of that through the eyes of like a child because she's telling you what her you know childhood experience was like. And all of this is leading up to getting an idea of how somebody can take 
their whole life from these times when you're really young and your memory's not fully formed. You don't entirely understand what's going on. And we take all of that and we make it into art later, even though like it's probably 70% wrong, <laughs> like nonsense, because we don't remember it right. And we had weird childhood perspectives and all of that. Um, so it's a really, it's a very serious book, if that if you know what I'm saying. Like it takes itself very seriously. This is a book that is about art with a capital A. It's not breezy breezy like Daisy Jones is, even though Daisy Jones deals with some really serious topics. But it is and it's not like a woman surrounded by dudes she has to deal with, like Stevie mm. Nicks was. But I mean there are men in the book. There are men in her life, but she's not making art with other people. It's a lot more solitary than that. But the big question of like a woman's life influencing the work that she makes later and a woman dealing with or drawing on her experience for inspiration, not other people's, not letting herself be someone else's inspiration, but she is the one who matters. It's big main character energy, which I think is the, the real thing that it has in common with Daisy Jones. So that's The Body Where I Was Born by Guadalupe Natal. Yeah, I went a very different direction <laughs> from Amanda. I leaned into the romance angle and I have girl The Girl with Stars in Her Eyes by Joe Axelrod for you. This is very much, I mean, it is a romance, a second chance romance about a female musician who, well, okay, so Tony Bennett, I mean, this, it cracks me up every time I say it. Her name is Tony Bennett. Tony is short for Antonia. And she is the daughter of a very talented singer. But what that meant was that she just sort of followed her mom around from gig to gig and, like, didn't feel particularly cared for and saw how music was just her mother's entire life and didn't sort of know what to do with that. And she ends up going to live with her dad in this very small town. And that's hard for new reasons. But she meets Sebastian, who is, you know, a little bit older than her. He's a very talented musician as well. And the two of them bond and, like, make this whole plan that they're going to leave together when they're old enough and, you know, take the world by storm, et cetera, et cetera. He leaves her ahead of schedule, doesn't explain why. He just disappears one day and then she's left by herself again and like doesn't hear from him. So now we fast forward to she is a grown up. She's doing the Philadelphia music scene. She is clearly talented, but like it's hard out here, um, especially for like a young black woman. And then there's this band that is like, you know, poised to become a big deal and they need a session musician. And so she goes in to try out for that. Turns out Sebastian is the manager. Surprise reunion. And what I love about this book is that the core artists in this group are all women. This band that uh, Tony uh, becomes a backup musician for all female and they are having some real issues with the limelight and like having come from where they were and now being like they're growing in different directions. There's this really big drama between two of the band members that expands to include Tony and Sebastian. And they have to like deal with the industry. They have to deal with the expectations of women in music. They have to deal with their own feelings and like their struggles to create and what does it mean? And like all of that juicy musician stuff that it sounds like you're into and very much there's this great romance between tony and sebastian like a plus plus and i just i love this book i really really love this book so i think it will scratch a lot of itches for you and it's the start of a series so we're like sitting over here waiting for book number two <laughs> again that's the girl with stars in her eyes by zoe axelrod
All right, our next question is from Katie, who says, I need to break out of my YA slash middle grade circle I have been in lately, looking for a thriller or mystery that will hook me from the start. LGBTIA plus is a bonus, but not a necessity, and long books are cool. Uh, I will just keep talking. So we have a great post on the site that I'm going to leave a link for you. Uh, it's 10 LGBTQ mystery books. And I stole my pick from that post because I was looking through it for inspiration. I was like, oh, dang, I need to read this book. It's a noir novel set in the 40s, which is like my jam. And the main character's name is Cantor Gold. Uh, oh, sorry. I should tell you the name of the book. It's Criminal Gold by Anne Aptaker. And Cantergold is an art smuggler. Awesome. And she's like trying to do a handoff when she ends up with the body of the fiance of a crime kingpin in like very strange circumstances and has to like deal with all of these intricacies with the mob and then the crooked police and, you know, tragic murder and it's in New York City and so you get all that city stuff and then there's this female-female romance and it just sounds like everything I want in a book and also probably what you are looking for. Uh, So again, that is Criminal Gold by Anne Aptaker. Bonus, it is the first in a series. So if we like it, there's more. Oh, right. I picked Dead in the Garden by Dahlia Donovan, which is not a long book, but when you buy it, it usually comes, I think it's a trilogy and it comes like packaged together. So you can read it as if it is one giant long book and that's very satisfying. So this is about a couple, Valor, Tarquin Scott, which is the most just name that ever named, like capital (laughs) N. Okay, so Valor is the son and heir to an earldom. He's the son of an earl and a countess, which is how I discovered what that is. Like the the female version of an earl. Was that oh. what I was, that's the thing I was trying to figure out last week. It's a countess. So um, now he, we know. Yes. So he grew up in this very fancy family. He came out and then also got a boyfriend who was brown. And so his family disowned him, essentially. And so he has gone off to live his own life in the Lake District in the UK with his boyfriend. Husband? I don't remember if they're married or not. Anyway, and he opens a a biscuit shop called the Ginger's Bread, which I just, (laughs) I just love it. And his, I'm just going to say partner because I can't remember their marital status. Bashan is a uh, violinist in the London Symphony Orchestra, and he is also on the autism spectrum. And so they just have like this very chill life. They own this biscuit shop with a hilarious name. They listen to music. They watch Poirot in the evenings. They have a cat. Like, it's all very calm and peaceful and like District D, right? Until they find a dead body in their garden. (laughs) Hence the title. And the dead body turns out to be one of their former classmates from the, like, very posh private boarding school that they went to as boys. Um, And so, of course, it's like, why are you here? First question. Second question, why are you dead? Why are you here and why are you dead are the things that they're trying to figure out. The cops immediately pinpoint Bashan as the killer and arrest him. And so Valor spends most of the book trying to clear Bashan's name, figure out, you know, why is he here and why is he dead? (laughs) So that he can prove that it was not his partner who did this. And it's just like, it's a very cozy, heartwarming, romantic, squishy, under a blanket with a cat kind of a mystery. And the thing that I love about it, and I've said this before, is that Valor, in solving this crime, listens to 
the police. Like, he does not make... When they say, don't go into that room because you might die, he's like, sweet, I'm going to not go into that room. (laughs) That sounds like great advice. Like, he does not put himself in undue harm, which is a thing that uh, so many amateur detectives and cozy mysteries just completely ignore the advice of the like professional murder solvers and go put themselves in harm's way constantly and then there's a whole subplot about trying to save them from their own silly mistakes and that just annoys me and they do not do that in this book he is very he has a lot of common sense and i appreciate that so that's dead in the garden by dahlia donovan (laughs) all right (laughs) question uh three is from pj who says i just spent the last two days inhaling season one of yellow jackets which hooked me with the premise of mega successful girls high school soccer team devolves into ritualized cannibalism after their plane crashes and kept me enthralled by the awesome characters and actresses in the dual 96 and 2021 storylines i've not Loved a show so much since Lost. Can you recommend any books to fill the gaping hole the show has left behind? To give you some idea, I enjoy the mystery aspect and the is this paranormal or is this an understandable reaction to trauma? But my favorite part is learning more about the characters and seeing how their experience as teens continued to impact them into adulthood. Juliet freaking Lewis. Queer characters are a plus. Thank you so much. Okay, I'm going to keep going. I had never heard of Yellow Jackets until this question. Mm -hmm. And so I went and I watched the trailer and now I have to go watch it. Like, you got me with the high school girls (laughs) soccer team devolves into ritualized cannibalism. That was already, I was already (laughs) on board. But like, Christina Ricci, like who? When did, yeah. when did this happen? It's a did, cast. That's amazing. It's, a cast. it's amazing. Anyway, um, this, it's next after I watch Station Eleven, which I still haven't started because I'm a weenie. Okay, so I picked Beauty Queens by Libba Bray, which seemed like the most obvious comp for this. Maybe it's a little too obvious, but it is about a plane full of beauty queens. Like, they are on their way to a pageant that's going to be held on an island. The plane crashes on its way there. Almost everyone dies except for this handful of beauty queens. So they're all, they're lost on this island. They have no food. They have no supplies. They have just the limited amount of stuff that was on the plane and their like ability to twirl batons or whatever. And they have to survive. So it's, you know, they have to survive the plane crash, figure out how to get rescued, figure out how to not turn on each other. They're, the island is also not empty. So there's like that whole thing going on. And it's, it's very satirical. I don't know if Yellow Jackets is or not, because again, I haven't seen it yet. But this is very much a satire. Like they... When they realize they have no food, there's this whole scene about like, well, I'll be so thin when we finally get rescued and we get to the pageant. It's just ridiculous. The girls' relationships with each other are amazing. And, you know, it's just subverting all of these really common tropes that you think about when you think about a beauty pageant. It takes all of those and turns them completely on their heads. The whole setup and premise is ridiculous, and therefore, the whole rest of the book is ridiculous, but in, like, the best, most biting, dark comedy kind of way. So that's Beauty Queens by Libba Bray. Yeah, I I fell down, like, 14 different rabbit holes working <laughs> on this question, and I have to apologize, because where I got stuck was on the paranormal or reaction to trauma angle, and so I apologize for not meeting, like, basically any other criteria <laughs> that you asked for, but I really, this book has been like recommended a bajillion times to me by the Book Riot crew. And it sounds like it might be what you are looking for in terms of paranormal trauma. 
So it's Night Bitch by Rachel Yoder, which does come with content warnings for harm to animals and gore. But I feel like based on the show, you're not going to have that much trouble Mm. with content issues. And this has been described to certain reviewers as if Phoebe Waller-Bridge and David Cronenberg wrote a novel together. (laughs) So like, if that gives you an idea of what we're talking about here... And it is about a woman who has recently become a mother. She's given birth. And she, like, wakes up one morning and feels this, like, patch of hair on the back of her neck and is becomes convinced that she's turning into a dog at night. Like, she is, like, a were person. And is she right or is she not right? And, like, her husband, who's on the road a lot, is like, I'm sure it's fine, but, like... Things are not fine. Let's just say that. So this is commentary on motherhood and like trying to figure out who you are in the aftermath of becoming a parent. It is very much about like society and relationships and all of that stuff. And also like, yeah, is this supernatural or not? So big questions, lots of really intense writing. Um, I think you're gonna dig the like very tense (laughs) pacing of this book. So again, that is Night Bitch by Rachel Yoder. All right. Our next question is from Teresa, who says, my husband is looking for some good contemporary fiction featuring Asian American males. He's feeling like he doesn't see any representation of himself in fiction and it's bringing him down. I think we all know what it's like to want to read that book where you feel really seen. And that's what he's looking for. He reads pretty much any genre, but he is really looking for something that speaks to his experience. So even though he loves fantasy, I'm not sure that would be a good fit for him. Um, Let's see. There's some details about books that he did and didn't like. He really wants fiction, so a memoir isn't going to cut it for him. He wants to be lost in a story. Any ideas? Uh, Amanda, let's switch it up. What you got? Okay. Um... You didn't mention what country his background is, so I just I just I picked my favorite book <laughs> that answers this question, uh, which is Shelter by Jung Yun, which has trigger warnings for domestic violence and sexual assault. I will say the main character of this book, who is a Korean American dude, is a jerk. Like he's a complete just loser, whiny man baby, and I picked it anyway because <laughs> I don't think that representation has to be. Uh, valorizing, you know, like the, the, they're humans. There are human people who are annoying and also great all at the same time all around the planet and they all deserve representation. So I don't think that it should a book should be disqualified because the character is unlikable. Okay, now that I have said that, the main character is Kyung Cho, who is a dad. Has been, he's married to a woman named Jillian. They live, I think it's in New England somewhere. Um, she is white. They have a son. They also have a ton of debt. They bought a house they could not afford, chasing this like, you know, upper middle class American lifestyle. Kyung's parents are very wealthy and he grew up, you know, with a lot of privilege. He's very used to that kind of lifestyle. But his parents were not affectionate, um, were very distant and very cold. There is domestic violence in the situation. And so he is like, they're not close. <laughs> you know, they're not close. His parents actually live a few miles away in this very fancy, like most exclusive, most desirable neighborhood in the you know area where they live. And they have a home invasion that's pretty violent. And afterwards, their parent or his parents need to, like, recover. Like, they can't physically care for themselves after this home invasion. And so his parents move into his house. And then everything just evolves from there. So Jin and May are his parents. And Jin actually 
gets along quite well with Kyung's son, who I think is five in the book. And so like watching his father, who he really deeply hates, and his son have this like very pleasant and normal grandpa grandson relationship just drives him into this ridiculous rage spiral. There's also the financial stress, there's professional stress, his marriage is under stress, and he just kind of spirals out and falls into a useless puddle of annoying man baby, as I said earlier. But that sounds really derisive. And I I do mean it a little bit tongue in cheek, like he is an obnoxious person. But it's so true to life. Like, it's he gets put in this pressure cooker of his parents who are not great people, his wife who is also kind of, you know, his own insecurities and flaws and puts it and, and like stress, put it all into one house where no one can really leave and then just kind of see what happens. And it's fascinating. It's fascinating and really hard to read. It's very, very dark. There's no getting out of his head. Like you're just in it with him through all of that. Uh, and it's it's a rough, it's rough. <laughs> but like in an unput downable kind of way, if that makes sense, I think it does. You know what I'm saying. So that Shelter by Jung Yoon. I picked a book that I absolutely inhaled this weekend. I actually had a different pick for this, but I read this sort of accidentally just in time to <laughs> recommend it for this question, which worked out really well for all of us. It's The Family Chow by Lan Samantha Chang, which has literally just come out. And I think this book is a great option for your husband. Um, Oh, before I go into it, content warning for speculated harm to animals. So this is a literary murder mystery, contemporary It takes place in this tiny town in Wisconsin, and the Chow family has lived there for like 35 years. Leo Chow and his wife uh, were both uh, Chinese immigrants, and their sons were born in Wisconsin and, you know, have grown up first generation, the whole nine yards, and they own a, a Chinese restaurant. And, you know, have kind of been the, at the heart of this Chinese-American enclave in this tiny town. And you start, like, you know from the opening chapter that Leo Chow, the patriarch, who is much uh, feared, perhaps, mm. is the right word. Like, it's a, it's hashtag complicated, his relationship with his sons. He has three sons. Uh, th- he has died in under suspicious circumstances. And then you backtrack to a few days before he dies, and you get the different perspectives of his three sons. And they each have very different personalities and experiences and feelings about their family and their family's role. They're all back for Christmas. They're all mostly grown. I think the youngest is like, you know, in college. Um, But the other two are older and, and, you know, doing their career things. And there's like, obviously murder drama, but there's also, you know, family drama. Their mother has recently separated from their father and moved into like a Buddhist convent situation. And so, and they don't 100% know why. I mean, they know that their father has been unfaithful to her for many, many years, but like they don't know what precipitated this. And they're just like working out all of their feelings about their family, about family expectations, about being, you know, first generation and coming from an immigrant family about the prejudices about like Chinese food like it's all in here and it's so beautifully written oh my goodness like it is it will make you so hungry y'all the descriptions of food in this book oh my god like I just want to eat everything and it's really like 
heartbreaking. It's bitingly funny sometimes. I mean, it's just, it's really, really good. I, Len Samantha Chang has not been on my radar for unknowable reasons, but now I have to read like everything she's written. <laughs> so again, that's me gushing about The Family Chow by Len Samantha Chang. All right, let's hear from our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Disney Books. Do y'all like Caribbean mythology? What's more, a thriller inspired by Caribbean mythology? If you do, I got something for you. A must-read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of Caribbean mythology from acclaimed author Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Bully and Tiffany D. Jackson. So, unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena Da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology. But then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money. So what does she do? She cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals. But then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders. And the truth Selena has been denying can no longer be avoided. There is evil lurking in the forest that surround St. Virgil. Now to find out what that evil is, make sure to pick up It Waits in the Forest by Sarah Das. And thanks again to Disney Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, our next question is from Sarah, who says, My friend's 10-year-old daughter doesn't like to read unless it's a graphic novel. We've tried all the classic kids' books, from Judy Bloom to Goosebumps to Choose Your Own Adventure, Magic Treehouse, etc. She will read a traditional book at forced, but she doesn't enjoy them. However, she's devoured all of her school library's graphic novels and loves them. It's getting difficult to find ones she hasn't already finished. She loved Reina Telgamir, Warrior Cats, and Aljefo. She does not like the Dogman or Captain Underpants style books. Do you have recommendations for crossover books that may get her more interested in traditional reading or offbeat preteen or early teen graphic novels she might enjoy? Additionally, should parents push children to read normal quote unquote books if they don't enjoy them or should she be encouraged to keep reading only the format she likes? (laughs) (laughs) Cue evil laughter. (laughs) Wilt! As I was reading this book or this question, my blood pressure was going up a little bit until I got to the end because I think you know the answer to this question, which is that no, parents should not push children to read anything. <laughs> I mean, any particular format or genre or whatever. I mean, graphic novels are still words on a page. So the difference is 
not there. I mean, it, it's just an illustrated book. I don't know. I, I I understand. I get where her parents are coming from. I also think that she sounds like a voracious. Re- She's read every graphic novel in her school library. The kids are reading Powerhouse. Leave her alone. Like, let her live. <laughs> She's doing a great job. Yeah. Okay, so that said, I did pick another graphic novel for her, uh, which is Lumberjanes by Noelle Stevenson, Stevenson, excuse me, Grace Ellis, Shannon Waters, Brooklyn Allen, Marta Leho, and Aubrey Ayisi. And the first volume is called Beware the Kitten Holy. It's amazing. I just, it's, I, it's amazing. So it's about five, I think, friends um, who attend this, it's, it's like, it's like a very old school kind of Girl Scout summer camp that is supernatural. Uh, the the Boy Scouts camp down the way, I'm fairly certain, uh, is full of werewolves. There are mysteries to be solved. There are beasties. They, it's like they're solving. It's very Scooby-Doo-ish. Like they're solving these mysteries that occur while they're at camp together. Um, but it isn't. But it is more about like the friendship between the five of them um, going off on these adventures. It's very low stakes, like there's um, peril, you know, not not anything spooky or, or something that a 10-year-old isn't going to be okay with. My kids are 10, and they read Lumberjanes when they were probably about eight, and they were totally fine. So some people, I think, find it a little like, oh, there's supernatural stuff, there's werewolves, it's going to be too frightening for my kids. No, it's fine. It's like very heartwarming and um, lighthearted. Peril, not danger, I think is a good distinction for kids. Mm. But you know, there are several volumes of it. So if she likes it, she can really, really get into it. And this appeals to everyone. Like my kids read it, like I said, when they were eight. My mom has read it. She's almost 60. You know, like everybody loves Lumberjanes, everybody. So maybe her parents could pick it up and read it with her and like kind of go on this I love graphic novels journey with her a little bit. Um, I think that might be a good exercise for them. So that's Lumberjanes by Noelle Stevenson et al. I'm not going to name all the names again. <laughs> Yeah, I I support kids reading what they love because the more you make reading a chore, they're less inclined to do it. Yeah. And she's already going to have to read, like, books without pictures for class. So let her read what she wants in her own time. And I picked Goldie Vance yeah. uh, by Hope Larson, Brittany Williams, and Sarah Stern. Because who doesn't love a feisty young girl detective, right? This is about a teenaged heroine, but I think it's totally fine. It's an all-ages comic. Like, I don't imagine that this is going to have any content that's not going to be okay for a 10-year-old. And Goldie Vance is uh, a young black girl who lives in Florida at a resort, which, like, amazing, obviously, premise. Her dad manages the place, and her mom, who is, her parents are divorced, um, her mom works as a live mermaid, also amazing, at a club downtown. And Goldie, like, wants to become the hotel's in-house detective, which, side note, I always forget is a thing, but, like, it actually kind of is a thing, which is so cool. Oh, wait, that's real? I have seen it referenced mo- enough times that I believe that it's not something one person made up. What? So either everybody is referring back to the first person who made it up or this is actually a thing. That's amazing. I'm going to go with number two because mm. I want it to be yes, true. Same. So Charles, who is currently the resort detective, comes across a case he can't crack and he's going to mentor Goldie. So she's going to like learn how to be a detective. I mean, come on. This is just like... It's catnip. It's great. Uh, The pictures are, the art is amazing, like super heartwarming, really fun. Strongly recommend. So again, that's the Goldie Van series uh, by Hope Larson, Brittany Williams, and Sarah Stern. 
All right. Next question is from Shay, who says, My favorite book of all time is Pillars of the Earth. I don't love it for the architectural language of building the cathedral, but I am obsessed with the medieval historical narrative and following families over a couple of generations. I call it histotainment because I'm learning some history while being entertained. In the same vein, I love Edward Rutherford's huge books of families at the dawn of large cities. Do you have anything similar you could recommend? The only historical period I don't like is World War II. I will read anything else. Amanda, what did you pick? I also love these books. And I picked Pachinko by Min Jin Lee because it go, if we, we're just going to call it Histotainment, which you have uh, coined and I'm going to steal forever. Thank you. <laughs> it is a Histotainment about the experience of Koreans in Japan throughout the 20th century told from the perspective of a single multi-generational family. So it opens in the very early 1900s. The main character in this section is a teenage girl named Sunja, who is the daughter of a fisherman. Um, and she falls in love with a tourist who is like very obviously wealthy. She doesn't know a ton about him in her like little village in Korea. And he, of course, you know, seduces her, promises her X, Y, Z, whatever. Um, and then she discovers that she's pregnant. When she tells him, he tells her, oh, well, I am married, so I'm not going to, like, obviously, I can't, like, make good on this, but I will put you up in a hotel or whatever and, like, you know, he uh, give you money, all this kind of stuff. And she's like, that is not what I was hoping for. Um, so she refuses. And instead, she gets an offer of marriage from a minister who is on his way to Japan, who is staying in her home because her mother is runs a like a kind of uh, what do you call it boarding house out, out of her house. And so she accepts this minister's proposal, which, you know, really saves her from ruin and leaves and, you know, goes off to Japan with this minister. And in that decision to go to Japan, but also to reject her baby's father, who he turns out to be like a very powerful criminal, has echoing repercussions. So the history of Korea and Japan is very, very, very fraught. There's a lot of colonialism. There's a lot of racism. There's a lot of atrocities committed by Japan. Uh, and so there's, uh, but I don't think America, Americans really know much about that. Like we tend to focus on our, our own <laughs> international crimes, which is great as we should. Uh, but it doesn't <laughs> mean that we like don't, we often are, are like unfamiliar with the history of other countries. And so this is, you know, same thing with Pillars of the Earth. Like this, if you don't, if you're not going to sit down and read a medieval history book about cathedral building, Pillars of the Earth is a great way, you know, to learn about that time period. And I think this is the same thing. Pachinko does the same thing. So yeah, so that's Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. Um, I'm not going to talk about like the other generations because it's a very, very, very long book and you get the gist. But it goes from early 1900s to present day. It's not about World War II, but of course that time period is mentioned because this family is living through it. But it's not like, a historical fiction about World War II specifically. So yeah. So that's Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. Yeah. I feel like another book you're looking for is Homegoing mm -hmm. by Yeah Jesse, which is three hundred years through a single family line that branches, obviously, over the course <laughs> of three hundred years. Um it starts in Ghana with two half-sisters, one of whom uh they're born in the eighteenth century in Ghana. One of them ends up married 
to an Englishman living in uh, the Cape Coast castle. And the other one is enslaved and sent to America. And you follow their family lines and the big like historical mm. moments of both Ghana and colonial America up through like actually even slightly forward in time from when the book was written, which was only a few years ago. And this book, I feel like, is so deceptive because when I think about it, I'm like, oh, surely that book was like 600 pages long. It's like 300 pages. It's not nearly as long as it by all rights should be because there's so much in there. I mean, there's so many amazing characters. There's so much histotainment. There is just... There's so many really intense, heartbreaking, beautiful, good moments. The writing is amazing. Like, it's a great book. And it feels really epic to me when I think back on it. And it's it's like in a very, actually quite small package, surprisingly. And I think this is just like, it, 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 it doesn't do as deep of a dive into like one specific time period because Jesse is covering so much time. But I think that that works in its own special way. And it's just so, I mean, it's so good. So. So again, that's Homegoing by Yaa Jesse. All right. Our final question is from Thomas, who says, I'm someone who loves history, fiction, and baseball, not necessarily in that order. I'd love to read some period fiction that relates to baseball. I've read Shoeless Joe, upon which Field of Dreams was based, and I'll try to keep an open mind, but W.P. Kinsella tends to be kind of out there. Even if you just want to provide historical fiction choices, that would be fine, but baseball is my passion. Okay, I did the opposite. I recommended a baseball <laughs> book that is not a historical fiction choice. Although if you give it a couple of years, hey, it will be. Because <laughs> who knows? It, that definition is ever-changing. Okay, so I picked The Art of Fielding by Chad Harbach, which I have not read, but was talked up so much when it first came out, which was in 2011, by the early Book Riot staff. I think Jeff really loved it. Rebecca really liked it. So this takes place in like on like the shore of Lake Michigan at a very small college called Westish. And you follow five characters, one of whom Henry is a baseball star who is like, you know, destined for the big leagues, big leagues, excuse me, and all of that. Um, the college president is one of them. His daughter is one of the main characters, the college president's main uh, daughter. Owen, who is Hen Henry is the baseball star. Owen, who is his roommate, who is gay, who gets caught up in a like really scandalous affair. So you alternate between these different points of view between the five characters over the next few years while they are you know at this college and that's kind of it like it's very slice of life there's a lot of baseball talk uh henry is not the only main character but a lot of the characters revolve around him and it's very franzany like if you like that style of kind of midwestern postmodern writing like this was crafted in a workshop kind of a feeling, which I do actually quite like because Zadie Smith writes like that and I like it. So it's not a it's not a, a ding or anything. But if you like that kind of Franzini style of writing, especially about the Midwest, I think you'll really dig this. So that's The Art of Fielding by Chad Harbach. I picked Diamond Ruby by Joseph Wallace, which I read more than a decade ago, y'all. So my my memory of it is a little hazy, but what I remember it matches with this question really well because it is about a young it's based on the true story of a young woman who could outpitch like anyone basically. And so the main character, Ruby Thomas, is living in 1920s New York City, so Yankee Stadium has like just you know, been built. There's Coney Island. They're just coming out of the Spanish influenza. So that's like, you know, mentions of epidemic note to mm. selves. 
But yeah, she can throw a ball as hard as the greatest pitchers in like a city that, you know, in the middle of the Roaring Twenties is like super into baseball. So she starts to become famous. You know, she's like brought in to like show off her skills. But of course, she's a young woman in the 20s in New York. There's also like prohibition shenanigans going on and the gangster underworld and the KKK is involved. And it's like all like swirly whirly history stuff happening all around her. So if you like sort of that, here is a character. I mean, it's not she's not obviously she's not Forrest Gump, but like that kind of formula where the here's a character at the heart of a bunch of historical moments, specifically around baseball in the 20s in New York. Like that is the vibe of this book in a lot of ways, uh, as I recall it. Uh, So again, that's Diamond Ruby by Joseph Wallace. And you can look up there's all kinds of cool details about, you know, the research that Wallace did um, in writing this book. So it is very like history forward in that regard. And that's our show. Woohoo! Thanks so much to our audio editor, Jen Zink, for making us sound great. Thanks to you all for listening. We always appreciate that. If you would like more book recommendations, you can have them. Check out bookriot.com. You can find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. And if you would like to leave a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Podchaser, wherever, leave us a rating and review. Helps other people find the show. We appreciate it. Thanks so much to our sponsors. And in between shows, you can find us on social media. Where is Amanda? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L. Or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.